This morning we are on chapter 30 of a 31-chapter story. We have started in Genesis. Uh, <clears throat> many of you have been reading through the story, a chronological uh, reading of the scripture from beginning to end, and next Sunday we will have the final episode. So you're going to want to be here. This is, this is the final finale of the story, and it's an amazing ending to the story. I think in 30 years of preaching, I think this has been one of my favorite series that I have done. I think the reason is because, you know, what we've been talking about is what we're living in history, and you and I are in this story. This isn't just a fiction story. This is the story of God writing a story through history. And so everything that happens that you read about is part of God's redemptive story. We saw the uh, wonder of creation. If you remember how just perfect it was way in the beginning in the garden. And then we saw the fall of man and how it drastically changed all of our lives. And we're living in that today. You've been living in that this week. We then saw how God began a plan, and he, he, he did it through a nation Israel, and he begins to foreshadow this amazing coming of one who is going to rescue and save mankind, and we, we walk through the life of Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection. And now we've been in this last episode, we've been, we've been watching as God had been calling out the church. Church means called out ones. Those whom God is rescuing, and so if you're here today, uh, I hope that you're a rescued one, that have been rescued from the curse, have been rescued from the judgment of God, which is ultimately coming upon the world. And then we, next Sunday, we will come to that finale where we realize that God is going to restore all things to like it was way back in the very beginning. It's an amazing story. We have, in the last couple of weeks now, we've been looking at a man's life by the name of Paul, who God used in a dramatic way to initiate the start of the church. Now, Paul's not the only one. There have been people down through the ages. God is using many people. In fact, God is using you in this building to be a part of this work that he's doing of calling out people, his church. This morning, we're going to look at Paul's final days as we <clears throat> see that his life is soon in the story uh, coming to an end. Bonnie Ware was a nurse that served, an Australian nurse she served in palliative care for many, many years. Palliative care is the care people get in the last three months of their life. And every night she would go home and she would journal what these people had said. And she began a blog, and it was entitled, Regrets of People Who Are Dying. In fact, it became so popular that she wrote a book. The book is entitled, Five Regrets of Dying. Now, you've heard of the term bucket list. You all heard of the term bucket list? I think most of us had heard that term. You know, it's something you want to do before you die. And so I just went online this week, and I just looked at some common bucket lists, and, and they centered around a number of areas. One was travel. So, you know, one was, I want to eat a Belgium waffle in Belgium. That was one person's bucket list. 
Another said, I want, you know, I want to visit Rome or, or someplace. Maybe you had one of those on your bucket list. Or they have to do with adventure. I want to kayak through caves. Or I want to parachute out of a plane. You know, those kinds of adventure sort of things. They were those that sat around animals. I want to pet a penguin. I want to watch a whale. Some related to work. I want to start my own business, so I'd like, I'd like to own my first home. Or some of them were talents. You know, I want to learn to play the saxophone or, or learn to run a marathon. But you know what was interesting to me when I read through the five regrets of people who are dying? I didn't find one thing on anybody's bucket list. And I thought that was interesting. Nobody in the last days of their life said, oh, I didn't get to pet a penguin. <laughs> or I didn't get to visit Rome. Nobody, nobody said that. Here's what they said. i just take a minute this morning. Uh, let me show you the, the top five. And this is from number five up to the number one thing that they said. This is over many years now of this woman talking with people, caring for people in, in the last three months of their life. Here they are, number one, I, would, I wish you were to let myself be happier. People look back on their life and they see all the days they fretted away, all the things they worried about that didn't happen, all the fears that consumed them, and they thought, you know what, I wish I'd have made the choice. And by the way, happiness is a choice. I, I wish I'd have made a choice to be happier. The second was, I wish I would have stayed in touch with my friends. You know, some of those old friends that you just kind of lost touch with and in those final days, I said, you know what? I wish I'd have taken time to stay connected with some of those people in my life that I've lost touch with. Number three, or counting down, is I wish I'd have had more courage to share my true emotions. I wish I hadn't been afraid to feel what I was really feeling. I wish I hadn't shoved things down. I, I wish I'd have been free in my spirit to just be what I was being. And uh, I think we can kind of relate to that. I wish when I was sad, I could have just really been sad. And when I was happy, I could have really been happy. And if I was angry, I would have had the freedom to feel like I was angry. And, and we see a, a, a desire to, to live fully by feeling emotions. The second was, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Interesting, isn't it? When people die, they don't say, oh, I wish I'd have done this. Or I'd have. Usually it's, I wish I'd have done some things other than work. And number one, the number one thing was, I wish I had lived more true to myself. I wish I'd have done what I really wanted to do. I wish I hadn't let other people's expectations formulate what I did. I wish, you know, I always had this dream of doing this, and I was always afraid. Uh, I, I just, I chickened out. Whatever it was, people felt like perhaps they hadn't been true to their, their deepest inner self. When was the last time you saw one of those on a bucket list? The Apostle Paul was a, a young man when he got converted. On the road to Damascus, it was a profound experience. It, it dramatically changed him. He doesn't give a lot of details. It just say he encountered Christ in such a profound way 
that he want, went on from there to call himself a prisoner of Christ, a slave of Christ, uh, turned his life dramatically around. He was probably in his early 30s. We know he was a Pharisee, so he had to be 30. He couldn't be a Pharisee unless you were 30. But he was called a young man. And generally, people in that day were called a young man when they reached the age of 30. I'm not sure what they were before that. But young man was a term. So we figure Paul was probably in his early 30s when he was converted here. We then see that Paul spends about 15 years. God was working in his life. We don't have a lot. He went to Damascus, and then he went to Jerusalem, and then it says he went to Arabia. Chapter 9 of Acts, then there's some stuff about Peter, and we come back in chapter 13, and 15 years have gone by. So Paul now is about 47 AD. He's probably in his mid-40s. And he starts what is going to be about 15 years of ministry. He would do three missionary journeys, a couple other small ones that we didn't hear a lot about at the end of his life. And we see that Paul here was, his life just centered around the ministry God gave him. I think if you'd asked Paul what his bucket list was, and I, I don't know what Paul would have said. None of us knows what he would have said. But you just get the feeling that if you'd asked Paul what was his bucket list, that it probably would have had something to do with the call on his life. Like, you know, I wish I could start churches here, or I, I wish I had more time here. I wish I... You just get the sense it would have been something revolving around reaching people with the gospel. And so I wonder when Paul got to the end of his life, if maybe he didn't have less regrets than the average person. I wonder if Paul didn't kind of do what his bucket list was during his life. You know that last one, I, I wish I'd have lived more true to myself. I wonder if Paul didn't get to the end of his life and say, you know, I think I have lived true to what God called me to be. I'm sure there were some regrets. I'm sure Paul regretted the Christians that he tortured, Christians who lost their lives because of him. But Paul evidently didn't spend a lot of time thinking about the old life and thinking about what happened in his flesh. Uh, he chose to think about the new life that, that God had given him. I wonder if when Paul got to the end of his life, it perhaps... It wasn't more a feeling of thankfulness than regret. I think Paul is a, is a great model for us to look at as, as we think about the, the end of our lives. So this morning I want to look at a very special passage. It's in the book of 2 Timothy. If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn there. This is 2 Timothy 4. This is the last book that Paul would ever write. His last book, it's written to Timothy, who had become like a son. It's personal, it's honest, it's insightful. Now, there were times in Paul's life when he's, his life was on the line, but he seemed to know that he was going to get through it. And he had a lot of those times. I mean, he miraculously escaped from prison. He miraculously was uh, 
was, he was stoned and they thought he was dead. There were many times when he had mobs of people ready to kill him. And I think at one time when Paul said, you know, it would be better to die and go and be with Jesus, but there's benefit of staying. And he said, for now, I feel like I'm going to stay here. And he did. When he went to Jerusalem, they begged him not to go because they thought the mo- they would kill him there. And sure enough, the Jews came out and they, they were about ready to kill him and, and, and the Roman guards came in. And by the way, the night before, God had said to Paul, he said, you know what? This isn't the end. You're going to preach in Rome too. And so what happens? The Romans get about 450 guards and escort Paul up to Caesarea where he was safe up there in a prison up there for two years. But 2 Timothy is different. 2 Timothy, as we read, is different. And what we hear coming out of Paul's mouth is what we've heard for the first time. And he says, I'm not getting out of this one. I think this is the end. And he was right. Here's the context. He's in prison for two years in Caesarea, north of Jerusalem. He appeals to Caesar. He goes to Rome. He's there for two more years and finally acquitted. Then he does a few more mission journeys and then it doesn't tell us why, but he's arrested again, and he's arrested under the leadership of a guy named Nero. This time he's not put in a house arrest, he's thrown in the dungeon, and he's chained there. Nero was a young, punk, cocky uh, kid who was a madman, really. At age 25, he proclaimed himself to be a, uh, he deified himself and claimed himself to be a god. He married the most beautiful blonde in the land. Her name was uh, Pompeius Sabina. He loved soft skin, so he had her take baths in goat's milk every day. He had 400 goats for that sole purpose. So his wife could bathe in goat's milk. She was then rubbed down with swan down and then rubbed down with crocodile mucus. Sounds great, huh, ladies? I guess that's soft skin. <laughs> he, was, uh, he was the guy that they figured set Rome on fire because he loved to build, so what did he do? He set on fire, burned it, and then he accused the Christians of lighting the fires, which set forth an extreme persecution. He would take Christians and roll them in pitch, bind them up, and light them as human torches for his dinner parties at night. That's the kind of guy that he was. It would be under his reign and in that coming year that Peter would be crucified upside down on a cross and Paul would be beheaded. So these are Paul's final words from palliative care, as it were. 2 Timothy 4, 6-8. Listen to what Paul says. For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Not only to me, but also to all who have longed 
for his appearing. What do we want to be able to say when we get to the end of our life, when the sign above the door of our room says palliative care? What do we want to be able to say? We want to be able to say, I got to pet a penguin, or watch a whale, or visit Rome. I, I, I would love to be able to say what Paul said. And let's just take a moment this morning and look at that. He said, I have fought the good fight. I'm about ready to leave. You know what? As I reflect back on my life, I have, I have fought the good fight. Did you know that the Christian life is a fight? I mean, did you know that? Did you know that it's a, a wrestling match? There were three major events in, in the Olympics at this time. One was wrestling or boxing. The other was running races. And the third were, were horsemanship, things with that. And so Paul here is drawing upon an analogy that his life has been like a wrestling match, like it had been a boxing match. It has been a fight. Someone asks you, how's your spiritual life going? You say, you know what? I just feel like I've been struggling. That's good. That's really good. When you're not struggling, then you're not fighting. Isn't that correct? If you don't feel like there's opposition, if you don't feel like you're in conflict, if you don't feel like you're battling, then maybe you're sitting on the sidelines. Maybe you've, maybe you've quit. You know, maybe somebody punched you in the face on the field and you just went over to the bench. Maybe you're not in the conflict if you're not fighting. Paul says, I have my, life, my Christian life has been a fight. You know, one of the lessons that we try and teach our children, and we did it to our children and our grandchildren, is that, you know, when you get in a competition and you're losing, what do, what do your kids say? Oh, I'm going to quit. You know, it's Monopoly, and you just landed on boardwalk with motels, okay? <laughs> and your kid gets up, and he's leaving the table, and you go, where are you going? He says, I'm quitting. Ever happened to you? What do you tell him? No, you don't quit. You don't quit. You get thrown on your back. You get a two-legged two takedown. You don't just give up. You keep fighting. You have a bad week. Something happens, you make a mistake, you blow it, you keep fighting. Paul says, you keep fighting, I have fought the good fight. The word here is agonizomai. It's, can you imagine what English word comes from that? Agony. The word means great struggle. Not just struggle, it means great struggle. If you say, Paul says, you know what? I have been engaged in the great struggle. Is your Christian life a great struggle? Then you've got a lot in common with the Apostle Paul. There are three sources of that struggle. The world. People. Uh, there are people that, there'll be people today as I speak that will take the lives of other Christians. It happened to Paul. We see in, in chapter 3, verse 12. 2 Timothy says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There will be people that will give you a bad time. They'll make fun of you. They'll reject you. You'll share the gospel. They'll ignore you. And we see that this was a part very much of Paul's life. Chapter 4 of Timothy. He's writing again. 
He says in verse 14, Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he's done. You too should be on guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. There will be people that oppose you and it will be a struggle. Romans 12, 2. It says, don't let, I love this translation, don't let the world press you into its mold. When you walk out of these doors today, there's going to be pressure. You're going to live in a world. Whatever part of the world you talk about, you're going to live in a world which is putting pressure on you to conform to this world. And that will be a battle. That will be a fight. That will be a struggle. It is for all of us. And so Paul here said, you know, I have fought against the pressures of the world around me to conform. The second thing is our flesh, our own sinful nature. You know, Paul talks very candidly about that. Romans chapter 7. Listen to Paul's description here of, of this in verse 14. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself would do it, but sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do, no, the evil. I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin living in me that does it. So I find this lot work. When I want to do what is good, evil is right there with me. Can you relate to that? This is a battle. This, this is a struggle. This is the great struggle. We deal, if it's not the world, if we get away from the world, then we have to deal with our flesh, with ourselves. And then the devil. Scripture identifies these. The world, the flesh, the devil. Ephesians 6. 12, our, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, rulers and authorities. We have no idea everything that's going on. Sometimes you have a bad day, and you don't know why you had a bad day, why it's such a struggle. Scripture says it's principalities, powers, and forces at work scheming to discourage, to destroy, to work in our lives. It's a battle. It's a fight. When you get to the end of your life, what a great thing to say. You know what? I have fought the great battle. I, I, have, I have fought the good fight. Paul is saying, it's been hard. It's been a struggle. I fought against those who oppose me. I fought against the world's systems around me. I fought against my new nature within me. But I have fought the good fight. He then says, I have run. I have finished the race. I finished the race. The Christian life is a race. That's how Paul looked at it. It's not a picnic. It's not a walk. It's not a jog. It's a race. There's a big difference between a race and a jog. Now, I know all about running. I, I ran competitively for probably 20 years. Through high school, through college, when I got out, I started running 10Ks. And I know what it takes to race. I know the mentality of racing. 
Here's the difference between racing and jogging. When we were, when I was in high school and we'd go to a track meet, we would jog to warm up. So let's imagine that, you know, I'm, we're jogging around the track and all of a sudden we see a garter snake. A couple guys, okay? What do you do? You stop, right? And you go over and you look at the snake and you poke it and you pick it up by the tail and you monkey around pretty soon. You say, you know what, we should probably keep warming up. So you go back and you, and you jog, keep jogging around the track. That's what jogging is like. So what do you think would happen if you were running the race, okay? If you were running a race and you were flying around the track and you saw the garter snake and you just stopped and went over and looked at it and uh, took a minute and then got back and, and finished the race, what do you think your coach would say? When you're running a race, you don't stop for anything. That's the difference between jogging and running a race. Paul says, I am running a race. I don't stop for other stuff. I'm, I'm focused. There's a finish line. I'm putting my best effort to reach it. And Paul says, as I, as I look back on my life, you know, I, I finished the race. I kept pressing on. I kept moving towards the finish line. Paul saw his life as, as a race. Acts chapter 20 in verse 24. <clears throat> Listen to what Paul says here. He says, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. So what's the task God has given you? You're not the Apostle Paul. Your job was not to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. I can't tell you what your race is. They're all different. My race is not like your race. Your race is different than mine. Your job is to seek God, to spend time and try and figure out what he's calling you to do, and then when you figure out what that is, to do it with all your heart. Don't get sidetracked from it. Run the race that God has given to you. That's what I think it means to run the race. And, and to do it wholeheartedly. I think that's what it means for us as a church collectively. You know, one of the things in the back of our bulletin, it says that we feel that God has called us to be relevant to our community. This last week, you saw a couple needs that went out, and you're going to keep getting those, because we believe that's what God has called us to do, to be relevant to our community. Last week, there was an individual that uh, hadn't seen their family for a year and, and needed someone to take them down to Marshfield, so we put that in there. There's a lady whose mother was moving into town, and we put that in there. And you know what? I have to be honest with you. When I was pretty nose in a bulletin, I thought, you know, our people are busy. They have their own lives. They have their own schedules. They have their own plans. And who has time to take three hours and the gas money to drive somebody down to Marshall? I mean, we can't be taking care of everybody. And then I thought, God has called us to be relevant to our community. You know what? That's going to cost us. It's going to cost us our schedule. It's going to cost us time. It's going to cost us money. If we want to really do that, if we really want to run that race, it's interesting, the gal came in, uh, ran into Luke at Target, wondering, just randomly talking to young people, and Luke says, you know what? Our church helps people. Thanks, Luke. For <laughs> I appreciate that. Our church helps people. 
And she came up here and visit, and, and uh, we had an opportunity to connect with her. Casey, some of our young people went out, some others. And so it was a real opportunity to connect. And she said to me something very interesting. She said, you know, when I came here and I, I didn't know what to do, she said, I never thought of asking a church. I thought, how sad. And so God is giving us an opportunity to change that reputation. You know what churches do? They help people in need. When people don't know where to turn, they can turn to the church. Because if people know that, when they don't know where to turn, they can turn to the one whom the church exalts and lifts up, which is Christ. And so, we run the race. It will cost us. It will cost us time. It will cost us energy. It will cost us resources. When we get to the end of our life, we're going to look back in our life and we're going to say, did we run our life like a race or did we just jog it? Races are hard. They take endurance. You have to pace yourself. You have to keep going to, to the finish line. Paul said at the end of his life, what a great thing to say, I've finished the race. And lastly, I have kept the faith. Paul says, I've kept the faith. So what is he saying here? Is he saying, my faith has been at risk during my life? You know, sometimes I... I'm preparing a message and I'm, I'm looking at this stuff. Next week we're going to be talking about return to paradise and a world with no pain and, and none of that. And I'm thinking, why do I believe all this? But I do. Every Sunday I get up here, I believe everything that I tell you. I don't have doubts about it. I don't have questions about it. I, I believe it. So why, why do I have faith? Is it because I mustered it up? I don't think so. I have faith because God has given me faith. God has given me the faith to believe. Don't think that you can muster up faith. The Bible is very clear. Hebrews 11.1 1, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So why am I confident when I speak, when I read? Because God gives me the faith to believe it. Hebrews 12, 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Christ is the author. You're not the author of your faith. Christ is the author of your faith. He is the perfecter of your faith. 1 Corinthians 13, 3. These three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. Love is a gift. Hope is a gift. Faith is a gift. It's something that God gives to you. And so I love the way what Paul says here. Paul says, I have kept. I have kept the faith. I love that word. Paul didn't say, I, I manufactured the faith. I kept the faith that God gave me. God gives you faith. You just need to hold on to it. And so Paul gets to the end of his life. And I think what he's saying is, you know, I, I look at my life. I look at all the hardships. I look at all the times I was discouraged. I look at times when I just felt like quitting. I look at all that it cost me. All the people that tried to destroy my beliefs. And I, I get here to the end of my life. And I've, I've kept the faith. And you will too. Because God is the one that is perfecting your faith. This morning, as, as we conclude, I want to uh, 
I want to just conclude with a little clip here, and, and then we'll pray. This is about running this race that God has set before us, and I think you'll be challenged, <clears throat> as I was. One day we will sit together with all of believers of every nation throughout all the centuries. And I can assure you on that day we, we will not talk about how we got to pet a penguin or watch a whale. We will reminisce together about how we fought the good fight here. We'll, we'll reminisce how we finished the race. We'll, we'll wonder and be amazed at the faith that God gave us to do that. 
And may his church, may we all be encouraged with these final words of Paul. May they be a challenge to us as we live out our lives, as we fight our fight, as we run our race. Father, this morning, we thank you for these words from the Apostle Paul. What a challenge to us. What a goal for us to emulate. Lord, as I went through it this week, I was reminded that there are days in my life where I'm, I'm just jogging. I'm not running the race. And Father, I want to get to the end of my life with as few regrets as I can. Lord, I, I believe, as your people, we all do. And so help us, Father, to continue to engage in the fight against the world, the flesh, the devil. Lord, might we not be discouraged? Might we not give up? Might we continue to fight that fight? Might we continue to run the race? May we, uh, Father, be focused on what you've called us to do and be. May we set aside not just the sins, but the encumbrances in our lives, those things that just weigh us down. And uh, Father, might you continue to grant us the amazing gift of faith, to believe and to continue to fight and continue to run. Lord, might we be strong in you. Lord, I pray that individually for each one here. I pray that collectively for us as a church. pray for anyone here today who has yet to enter into and receive uh, this gift. Lord, of grace and faith. And Lord, if you have granted anyone the faith today to believe, I pray that they would uh, just open their hearts up to what you want to do today. And might they receive the work, the forgiveness of Christ, the gift of your Holy Spirit, and the transforming power that uh, will enable them to fight the good fight, to run the race, and to keep the faith. Father, thank you for these words today. And uh, Lord, might you use them in each of our lives for your purposes today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You are dismissed uh, to Connection Cafe.